Hello, hello everyone. You are listening to The Success Palette, a place to discuss everything that you are not taught in school about how to be successful in the arts. I'm your host, Soda, and today we are going to talk about a career field that most people don't even know about, but it's something that a lot of artists would really enjoy because it combines our love for creativity and artistic expression with helping others and that is art therapy or art therapy coaching whatever direction you end up going into and to help me out with that I have one of my oldest friends David from Today I Grew Up who is a musician he is has a YouTube channel a really fun YouTube channel and is also a licensed therapist, although he is not practicing right now. So he does have some experience with art therapy, and he's going to give us some juicy information about what art therapy is and some ways that we can get into that field without being a licensed therapist. And of course, David, thanks again for joining me. I know you're really busy, so I super appreciate it. Let's start out talking about the difference between clinical art therapy and something like group art therapy. Yeah, so I'd love to touch on that. Um, Basically, I was a therapist for 10 years. Marriage family therapy was my emphasis. And so I have my bachelor's and master's degree in psychology. And uh, I worked with many clients in therapy ages three to 55 in my time doing it. Uh, I did inpatient, outpatient, hospitals, schools, uh, crisis centers, you name it. I've, I've touched a bit of it in mental health. And one thing that I loved doing, which was, you know, technically, usually a therapist goes in with a client and it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Like CBT, right? That's a modality I use, like cognitive behavioral therapy, which people are familiar with, some aren't. Um, and then sometimes my bosses would be like, okay, you don't just have to do a modality. You can, since you're a musician, why don't you do like, you know, music with them? Or why don't you like draw with them or do some kind of art with your therapy? And I and I remember thinking, wow, like maybe I should have been an art therapist. <laughs> I never really thought about it before um, until I was there already doing it, you know? Um, so I was able to be an art therapist without being a licensed art therapist. So yes, there's different kinds of art therapists. You know, there's the licensed ones who go to school just for that. And actually two different kinds of art therapy. There's an analytical psychology side and a psychoanalysis side. So I'm sure you'll have a lot of questions about it because I use big words sometimes. (laughs) But um, basically what I did was I was able to process trauma with these clients through music, through art. um, And it really did change their life. And they didn't even have to be creative. I would even do group therapy and be like, hey, guys, we're going to do a craft project today. I want you to draw a picture of your favorite superhero or your villain. And then we'll talk about how that relates to your life. Right. So we did a lot of cool things and there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll let you lead what you want me to want to, want to know next from that. Yeah, I was actually thinking of going into art therapy myself, but I know for a licensed art therapist, you need your master's in psychology, right? Yes, that's correct. And then but they also have what I believe are called art coaches or art therapy coaches, I guess. And those you don't have to have your therapy license or psychology license for. 
Uh, do you want to talk about any opportunities that other artists might have that are interested in psychology, but not quite in a position where they can get their master's degree and want to get into this field? Yeah, that's that's a great thing to bring up because you're right. There's a lot of people who hear the word, oh, art therapy, I want to be an art therapist. But then they don't realize that requires a four-year bachelor's degree, that requires a two-year master's degree. And then in addition to the two years master's, you need you know, clinical supervision, you need a lot of clinical hours of experience with a supervisor. Sometimes that's not a paid internship opportunity. So it's a struggle. Like I think after master's degree, I spent three years just getting hours uh, to be, you know, actually registered and licensed through the Board of Behavioral Science. So if you don't want to go through all that, which I understand it's a lot of money and time, a shortcut that I found for people to get into art therapy without calling it art therapy would be become a behavioral interventionalist. That's usually the listings you can find at your lo local mental health clinic to work at. All they require is a bachelor's degree. That's all you need minimum. It doesn't even have to be in psychology. You just need at least a bachelor's degree. If you have a bachelor's degree, that kind of gives you a ticket in to apply to become a behavioral interventionalist. And once you're there at the clinic, they can train you to work with usually children with autism is a very popular disorder to work with. But within those therapies, you have toys, you have tools, you have crayons, you have whatever you want to bring to the table to help that child express themselves. Because sometimes they are nonverbal and they can communicate you only through art or games and things like that. And so Art is very essential and important with even building rapport with a client. So I think that's a great shortcut way if someone's interested in getting to this kind of world of mental health, become a behavioral interventionalist. Um, and that'll kind of open the door to possibility of let's do art or music integrated with your therapies that I'm doing. And those coaches usually work with therapists like me who come in to kind of direct and lead the programs. But the behavioral interventionalist will just do some interventions and um, when the therapist is not available, you know what I mean? So I hope That's that so helps. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I was doing, I watched so many YouTube videos about the different career paths for art therapists. And yeah. I got very overwhelmed with everything. Like some mm -hmm. states you could be this, some states you can't. And so that is very good to know. And if it's you kind have of a any... secret. It's like a secret for real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like a little secret. Uh, I was on the inside, so I know the secret. Um, and that's kind of a way to do art therapy without having to go through all the hoops of being an art therapist. You know what I mean? And if you have any resources on that, I'd love any links or books or anything that I could put in the show notes for anyone else that's interested. And can you explain the importance of art therapy and why it helps so many people, especially oh, yeah. people who are maybe neurodivergent? Yes, um, I'll definitely give you the links, by the way, there is a website for mental health where people can go in their local county and state and then kind of look up resources or jobs like I was describing. Uh, so that'll be there. I'll give you the link. <laughs> uh, so that's anybody who's listening. If you're in the US, we got you covered uh, for that. Um, so the way art therapy works, the way I conceptualize it, you know, there's there is a scientific method to it where people who are licensed art therapists will collect data. They'll look at like how is the art actually affecting them in, you know, a psychoanalytic faction, which is more like exploring the unconscious, subconscious and unconscious mind. Things that are repressed, you know, like trauma, you know, those things are are buried deep in people's subconscious. And so what art does, whenever you hear a song or, 
you know, music is a big one um, because I'm a musician. So I have a bigger heart for that part of it. But it, it really does open up someone who maybe not might not want to talk to a therapist to maybe be open to talking to one. Because I remember a kid who came in off the streets of San Bernardino County and he, you know, substance use, trauma, bipolar disorder, history, all kinds of things. And I remember he was very resistant to opening up in therapy. And as soon as we had a music class, because we did have a music portion in our program in, in, in the crisis center, he was like another person. As soon as the song came on, he was like, I want to play guitar. I want to play bass. We had some instruments there. And even though they didn't know how to play, we'd be like, okay, you're going to put your finger here. You're going to put your finger there. You know, he'd pick like a three riff song, like a Blink song or Green Day or something easy. And then he'd be like playing along with us. And then suddenly after that, he saw me differently. He's like, wow, this therapist is actually cool. Like I can connect with them with music. And that actually opened the door where we could talk about lyrics and songs. And suddenly, even though he was there for therapy, the music is what opened the doors for us to get to therapy. And as soon as we started exploring themes through music, why do you like this song? How does this music touch you? Um, and he even told me, he's like, music is like a warm blanket on my skin. And it makes me, it takes me to a different place and it really helps me heal. And so it really helped us integrate that into therapy. And uh, it was a very positive outcome for him, luckily because of the music. And, you know, and that's just one example of art therapy through music, you know, and that's not even including other things you can do with art, <laughs> you know. Is there ever a time where doing some sort of art to help with healing can actually make it worse? And how do we kind of make sure that we keep that safety because I know I've tried to do some on my own where I write about something in a fictional way or I draw something in detail that maybe was traumatic and it actually made things worse. How can working with an actual um, therapist help with making sure that doesn't happen or is that something that actually happens to people besides me? Yeah, that's a great point and um, very important point. And, and usually therapy should be a safe place. And that's something I established with a client before we even start is like, you know, I always go to the client's pace. I may have a plan in my head going into it like, oh, yeah, I should do this and this and this. But I always go to the pace of the client. I even tell the client uh, when they're in therapy with me, if you ever feel uncomfortable or you feel like you're not ready to open up yet, that's okay. You know, this is not a race. No one's pressuring you to open up or to talk about this. These are things we do need to talk about, but I will wait for you to be ready. And then if they're just avoidant and they're not ready uh, and there's, you know, a lot of time gone by, I usually try new things, interventions. So it's it's not really the client that has to do anything. It's me as a therapist to be compassionate about that. I have to be creative and say, okay, maybe he wasn't comfortable talking about trauma through music, why don't I try talking about trauma through another art project like drawing or crafting or scrapbooking or journaling, right? So there is always a way to get around this because ultimately we need to talk about these things in order to heal and process th these things. And um, that was just my best answer for that is, you know, always keep in mind that therapists are there to help you and we're not here to kind of push you. Uh, we're going at your pace and what you're comfortable with. And that's all we offer is that support for you. So you feel safe with us and not that you feel pressured that you have to talk about something. Yeah, I noticed that sometimes I tend to draw or write about something more literal, but having 
these prompts given to me by these art therapy books that I got kind of helped me focus on more of the feeling rather than actually interpreting the event that can, again, like what I mentioned, re-trigger the trauma. Do you mind explaining a little bit about how these prompts sometimes work when they're asking you to maybe let go of everything and draw whatever you feel or seeing whatever you feel. So you want more like my intervention with how to pro uh, lead that therapy process? Yeah, or how maybe some examples of mm -hmm. how you might go about it because I've done some online ones where they mm -hmm. tell you to draw maybe a square and oh, yeah. fill that square with whatever color you feel like. And then you <laughs> at the end, you kind of analyze. So you're not drawing something literal. You're drawing more of what kind of first comes into your head. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I like that. I, I've done something kind of interesting that I've made up my own. But, you know, it's obviously based. Everything I do is based on scientific based modalities, of course, which was another hour long process to talk about. But basically what I keep in mind is when I approach these interventions is what am I leading the client to? Obviously, I need to increase self insight and self-awareness. That's usually a big problem with clients coming into therapy who need the most help. It's like, I don't see what you see. I see two options. And in my mind, I see 10 for them, right? But it's not my job to tell them to see these things. I have to lead them to them, these to these things. Because therapists don't give advice. We lead you on a path to self-discovery. So that, because we know you have the answers, we just need to find them within yourself. Because if I just give you the answers, that's not going to help you change or grow as a person, right? You have to kind of I'm leading you in your mind to to get to those conclusions. So therapy and art is a great format to do that. One time I had a client write down a bunch of, pro I had a white erase board, gave a marker, and I said, I need you to write down uh, things in your life that stopped you from your goal. Like, this is your goal. This is where you want to be, whether it was going to school, graduating college, having a place to live, et cetera. Whatever their goal was, that was a positive goal. We would draw all the, I told them, I need you to just write or draw things in your life that stopped you from getting to your goal. As soon as they mapped out their life or what they thought their life was into how they became, you know, got where they were and how they did not end up finishing their goal. Um, I drew like freeway roads and then trees and like, I, I suddenly started drawing their life and uh, like highways. And I said, Hey, it's interesting. All these exits you have here, like, all these events in your life, it looks like you just kind of detoured from the freeway and you took an exit, but you never got back on the freeway. You went on another road that connected to another road that connected to another road. And yes, there's many roads to your goal. But what happened was because you weren't focused on your main goal, because you got sidetracked, we weren't able to complete that goal for you. And so that that drawing exercise opened their mind. And I remember having a client saying, whoa, you're telling me like, I'm the driver of my own life. I have control of the wheel more than I think I do. And so it's like, yes, we're increasing that insight and awareness. And you, many metaphors like that, I've used drawing activities like video games, right? This client's like, oh my gosh, my life's like a video game. I just need to like work hard on beating those levels. And, you know, you never know what you say that's going to change their life. And these art exercises of drawing really, really started opening up those gears in their mind where they became better because of it those exercises that we did through drawing, through coloring, through whatever it was, music, et cetera. 
Yeah, you know, I remember when I was maybe eight or nine, I had to go to therapy. Um, and I would I would play this game where I would just scribble on a paper and then turn it into something. And yeah. I would always end up turning it into a monster. Hmm. And my therapist was always so amused by it. like she would take note of it. And I'm like, why is she taking it so seriously? <laughs> and that monster ended up symbolizing my parent who was uh, pretty abusive. So yeah. it's interesting how even as young children, what we make with our art can subconsciously show what we're what we're dealing with. Yeah. And to expand on that a little bit, it reminds me of a class I took in abnormal psychology. And I learned that a good test for a therapist to do with my younger clients. What I, I did it before is like, I had a kid draw a picture of a tree, a house and a person. And so kind of similar to you where you were able to draw something. I said, there's no rules, just draw a house, draw a tree and then draw a person. And usually when they drew that tree, we would look for signs of like, is it a weeping willow tree? Usually people who drew trees that were sad, scary, spooky or sad looking, kind of was indicative of their mental health of like where they were with depression or with uh, anxiety, et cetera. Or if they had a bright, happy tree that was healthy with birds flying and sunshine, then we knew, okay, maybe their emotions are a little bit uh, more elevated right now, or they're, or they're actually have more of a stable background with their emotions. And then same thing with like the house is the window. Is there a window on the house? Sometimes windows would be blacked out. Why are they boarded up or why are they not there? Sometimes, um, you know, windows are symbols for warmth of the sun coming into a house. Is there smoke coming from the chimney? Is there warmth in the house or is it a cold, dark place? Is the foundation of the door actually level to the floor of the house? Because sometimes that could symbolize insecurity or instability in the home. Um, and then same thing with the people. It's like, is the person smiling? Is it a sad face? You know, and those things really give insight to like the minds of kids and their mental health when they can't use words because they're so young. I actually have a question on that subject that someone asked on YouTube a while ago, mm -hmm. and they were saying how they love drawing dark horror type art. And then everyone thinks that they're depressed and they're like, no, I'm actually perfectly fine. And then I've talked to other people who draw these beautiful, happy scenes, and right. they admit that they only use it for escapism, and they're actually really, really depressed. Um, so now I'm wondering how much of our art can, when we're actually in total control of our art, how much of it is actually portraying how we feel, and how do we kind of let go of that to really not be in so much control, if that makes sense. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a great point. And what my what I found in my experience is younger, this is why usually younger clients, I do that activity because kids don't really um, usually are not old enough to be maybe witty enough to cover up their a deep abstract thought like that you know what i mean like oh i draw creepy things and i'm really a happy kid it's it's actually pretty rare for a child to have that complex idea to present it that way they're usually hard on sleeve when you tell them draw a house and, and a tree there's a there's subconscious things coming out in those drawings but when you're talking about a teenager right somebody who has a little more self-awareness who's not 10 years old anymore those are the ones where 
I don't rely on a picture of a house <laughs> or a tree or because like you said, they could just be into, you know, teen horror, horror novels or scary movies at that point. So, yeah, that's not always indicative of a bad, you know, you have horrible mental health. But it's definitely there's always warning signs. As a therapist, I see the warning signs and they come in many, many fashions. And like sometimes you're right. Somebody could look totally normal, present as so super happy. But in reality, they're the ones who are closer to a suicide attempt. And we may not know that unless you're a trained professional like me. And I already know the language to look for and the steps involved for that. You know, I could see right through it, but I can see why maybe a normal person who doesn't know about this wouldn't. Right. So. Can we sometimes get too obsessed with our art to the point that we kind of ignore reality and only want to live in our art? And how do we find that balance? That's great. That's a great question because that is an actual problem that a lot of people have more than you think. Um, I see it all the time, and especially in a world where we're more online. There's the rise of creators online is is larger than ever when we're talking about TikTok creators or YouTube creators, et cetera. There's a, there's a rise of creative people online. Sometimes people get so obsessed with their art that you're right. It becomes kind of like a false sense of reality because they've created their own reality. You kind of become disconnected from maybe things that normal people would think about, you know, because you're just so far gone in your art. And I've seen that happen before. I've seen people get so consumed by their art. That's literally all they live by eat drink sleep by which is not necessarily a problem um as a mental health professional what i would consider it as a problem would be if you're not able to like hold a steady income it's because you know that is important because you you do need a roof over your head you do need to survive in society are you feeding yourself well are you healthy are you eating are you right? taking care of your children taking care of yourself <laughs> that was my yeah. mom's big thing she was so <laughs> obsessed with her art that she ended up yeah. not taking care of us and abandoning us and yeah. so that's why i feel very concerned when people say make art your priority when they're putting it above um you know their their health mm -hmm their loved ones and their responsibilities. So I guess that's when it becomes a problem, right? Yeah. And I, I think this will help, you know, usually in therapy, we call it a cognitive distortion, like black and white thinking. I tend not to go black and white because life is very gray and I look at everything as a spectrum. So even with this, an obsession with your art, it is a spectrum. You know, there's people who are going to be really healthy with it and people are going to be really unhealthy with it and people in the middle who maybe could be healthier, right? Or could be worse. So I think it's always going to be a case by case situation. And that's as a therapist, I always look at that. I'm like, are you able to function right? You know, take care of yourself, take care of your kids. You know, that family first is super important. I'm a content creator. I, I make sure my mental health is in check because, you know, number number one is my spirituality, my family. And then everything else comes after that, you know? So yeah, it's very important to be mindful of where you are with your art. You know, I love art just like anybody, but I also realize I have bills to pay and I have a family to take care of. So, you know, that has to take priority too. So yeah, it's important. And you touched on something about your, your creations. I know you're a musician, mm -hmm. you do your YouTube and all the editing that comes with that. How mm -hmm. has dabbling into different forms of art made you a better creator and how can it help in general for people because that's something that i find very important in my life yeah that's great um i all i do is try to inspire people you know besides taking care of my family making a living making what i've called art 
my business now because uh, you know i have to pay bills but in reality though I, I am living the dream i'm doing what i feel i was meant to do which is create videos uh collect toys i build toys i make toys i paint them sometimes i hire people to help me create toys and also my band i write songs i write lyrics a lot of my lyrics are positive mental health messages so that I, I keep my therapy practice alive because although I'm not, I'm taking a break as a therapist at this moment to just concentrate on being a YouTuber and a musician full-time, um, you know, I can always go back to therapy. I, it's uh, Once you earn your degree, you can always go back. So I'm not worried about that. It's just, I love to inspire. I love to help. And I really hope that my art that I put out in the world makes the world a better place. Um, Cause it makes me feel good helping people through my lyrics, through my messages. And we've even gotten people in Japan come up to me, tell me that my lyrics touch them or help their mental health in some way. So that's how I knew it was worth it. Cause I'm like, cause I am, I'm writing songs about depression, about anxiety, about relationships, um, you know, things that are important to people and uh, just trying to help them kind of survive it or have good messages in their heads, <laughs> you know, uh, to like help them navigate through that. But Anything is possible. You know, I always tell people, you know, work hard, dream big. You can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it and don't give up. You know, that's my best advice for that. Um, but yeah, art art and therapy and that's just my world, you know. I've seen the power of how that's helped people and it's it's really inspiring even to me. My clients have inspired me as a creator to continue to create in, through music or videos uh, because of their energy. I feed off of that, you know. Yeah, I had a really great interview with a musician who used the book, The Artist's Way, in addition to a 12-step program. And it helps him get over his addiction by just reconnecting with, with these art, whether it's music or drawing or anything, mm -hmm. and just not worrying about how it looks, not worrying about the end product, just... Mm -hmm really enjoying the process. Do you mind talking a little bit about the importance of enjoying the process instead of just that focusing on monetizing the end result? Because I feel like that's causing a lot of people in the creative space, a lot of stress, and they end up connecting how well received their creations are to their self-worth. It is so hard. And I, I actually wrote a guide to help people with YouTube because um, I, I write a lot of positive affirmations and everything I do. And I remember telling people, your your content creation is not a reflection of who you are as a person. That's just a part of who you are. It's not all of who you are. And I think sometimes people get lost in the art, like you say, to the point where they're losing themselves. And because maybe they're stressing or they don't balance their life properly, or maybe they don't know how to balance it that they almost lose identity and they think, oh my gosh, what I put on the world, people don't like it or they see the hate because there's trolls for anything. It doesn't matter what <laughs> if what you do, you know, if you're going to get haters, you're going to get people that are just literally jealous of you or just bullies. And um, yeah, it's just, it's sad to me to hear when people get hung up on it has to be perfect. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be perfect because life isn't perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And what's more important is that you have a message or you believe in something. And if it's important to you, then it's going to be important to somebody else, whether they might appreciate it or not, put it onto the world. Like if you feel you're doing what you were created to do, uh, cr which is create, then you should be doing it. And uh, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like, okay, something didn't work out like you wanted. 
doesn't mean you have to give up. You know what I mean? Like I've been on YouTube 10 years now. I've made over 1200, 1250 videos at this point, not including like t other content, but it, it, all I've learned in this process is that I enjoy to create. So I'm going to continue to create, you know, and it's just what I do. And it's been positive for me. And and even when even when it's not, it's like I've learned to navigate those those hard times. But having a therapist does help. You know, even therapists have therapists. I've had a therapist off and on throughout my life, and I always encourage people to go to therapy because it really helps balance you out when you're stuck in your own head or you're stuck in your own art, and you start losing sense of reality or disassociating, like you say, which happens a lot. So much, yes. I I just finally got a therapist again, and it's been amazing to have that, that validation and that understanding of what's going on. One of the problems is though, I know for me, it took two years for me to get a, a therapist with my insurance. And I know a lot of my listeners would absolutely love to get access to therapy, but with the way our medical system is and everything, they just yeah. aren't able to, they aren't able to afford it or their insurance doesn't cover it. What are some ways that people who aren't able to get access to therapy can still have some sort of resource, whether it's maybe a art therapy group online or, you know, some sort of workbook or anything like that? Do you have any suggestions? Yeah. So there is a Department of Mental Health, which is a government website, and I encourage everybody to go and look up the resources in your city, in your state, because believe it or not, there's a lot of programs people just don't know about that exist. And people who can't afford therapy, I believe it or not, actually have access to therapy. It's just you need to find the right resource. And I always recommend the Department of Behavioral Health government website. Through there, you can look up therapy for people who can't afford therapy. And for example, there is a resource in my area where I live in California called Catholic Charities. And what they do is they service the local community with free therapy. You don't have to pay. It's government funded. And although it may be limited to, you know, in some way, it's something it's better than nothing and it's free, right? So, you know, there's there's resources for everybody. It just really depends on where is your mental health at. Obviously, if it's an emergency situation, I always encourage call 911 or call, you know, the crisis suicide prevention hotline, which I'll give you the resources for that. Um, that's always important, obviously. Don't stress out if you're in that. If you're that critical, there, just go to the hospital. They'll help you. And you don't always have to pay for those things. But when it comes to just like, okay, I need a therapist just because I, I'm having a hard time with life, not necessarily like suicidal or like, you know, crisis, there's still resources for you. So uh, I definitely recommend people just do the work to look it up because it does exist. And there are people willing to help in your community for mental health. Support groups online are helpful. But like you said, there's free 12-step recovery programs. And there's actually free therapy programs. People just need to look for them. Yeah. And I want to touch on what you said about suicide. And if you are in that emergency situation, and if even if you're too scared to call someone yourself or talk with your parents, if you have any sort of teacher, if you have someone in your life you could open up to, or if you have a friend or classmate, I had a classmate once who kept saying things like, oh, I hope I just get hit by a bus one day or something. Like he would say these things that kind of made me feel like, wow, I, I think this person is actually serious about it, even though he's joking. And I 
reached out to one of our professors about it and they ended up having a really great talk and just the importance of keeping an eye out for each other and yourselves and just reaching out to some, some sort of trusted adult, please, please. I didn't know if you had anything to add. Yeah. To so I will provide the uh, suicide hotline phone number, which you can call. It's open 24 uh, seven. I'll give that to your listeners uh, to, you know, if they need that resource for somebody, but also there's actually a tech service. This is newer that more people should be talking about. It's called, it's, it's basically a volunteer crisis counselor hotline. And so whenever you feel like you're in crisis, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like maybe suicidal or anything where you're like, I feel like I'm having a mental breakdown or something. You just need to text the word home, which is in all caps, H-O-M-E. And the number to text is 741741. Super easy because it's repetitive. So you just text home to 741741. And this is for anybody who's in the United States. Anytime it's a crisis text line, it's for any crisis. And a live trained crisis counselor will receive the text and respond. And it's all online. So like, you know, or your phone, obviously. And if you have, you know, cell service. And that'll help you get connected with the resources you need for you and wherever you are. Um, so that's a really important resources. And I hope people take advantage of because, you know, it's free to text uh, for most people. So <laughs> that's a really important one to to do. It could save a life for sure. Absolutely. And speaking of resources, which we were talking about before I went on that, that tangent, um, mm -hmm. I know that I talked to one of my local libraries before saying that they would love to have some sort of therapy group, art therapy group, some sort of group if enough people reached out to that library and said that they want it. So I want to just give a shout out to if you have a group of people who all want access to some sort of group therapy or group, maybe 12 step program or something like yeah. that contact your local libraries because they have the funding to do these things, mm -hmm. but they don't know if people will come. And so please, please take advantage of those resources. Do you have any books or anything that you would recommend on the subject of art and therapy or YouTube channels or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. There's so many issues involved in mental health. Like, there's not one go-to, like, um, I don't know, website or even the only website I would recommend go to is, you know, Department of Behavioral Health. You know, they're definitely uh, the best for that. But in terms of art therapy, there's a lot of great books I've read. I remember reading one called uh, Healing Trauma with Guided Drawing. I remember that one was a really good one. I believe the, the author was named uh, Cornelia. I, I forgot how to pronounce the last name, forgive me, but I'll, I'll give you a link to that one also, but it's called Healing Trauma with Guided Drawing. And it's kind of like a, more of a sensor motor art therapy approach. So it's, it's very interesting. It teaches you more about how the body is focused and how trauma-informed art therapy can appeal uh, to clients and even mental health professionals. So it's kind of cool because it's a book that kind of like trains the therapist, but also trains you to like, understand how clients are benefiting from this um and you just learn so many mind-blowing things where it's like okay it makes sense why art and mental health are connected uh because it, it it includes the context of our body being focused and unfolding things through drawing through painting through whatever it is 
And uh, I wanted to give one more note about something I did in group therapy one time. I did a, a drawing exercise with some clients and I said, everybody, please draw your superhero and what that looks like. And then I want you to draw your villain and what that looks like. And what 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 attributes do they have? What are their characteristics and personalities? And, you know, what does your superhero do? What does your villain do? And so what I what I ended up telling them was, did you know that your hero that you drew and your villain are descriptions of what you ideally want to be if you were a superhero or if you're a villain, what do you look like? And people agreed that it's like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. I kind of drew an idealized version of me or this is my worst. This is what a villain looks like for me. And so it was really interesting to kind of draw those things out from them. And they'd be like, wow, I didn't realize that I could be my own superhero defeating my own inner villain. And uh, this is how I can connect with myself and my mental health. I can look at the positive aspects I do like about me and see that as the superhero version of me. And then I can see the villain parts of me and, and realize I can defeat them with the super superhero side of me. So, you know, things like that is just so cool to see. And you get a drawing out of it too, which is a reminder. They usually put it up on their wall and just kind of help remind them that you, you're your own inner superhero and your own supervillain too. So you just gotta, it is a, a struggle and a battle sometimes, but you can defeat your inner villain. And uh, it's it's always a fun one that I, I enjoy doing. I miss doing that in group therapy. That was always a fun one. See, so do you not do the group therapy? Because oh, you, you're taking a break from therapy right now, right? Yeah. So in 2020, when I became a full-time YouTuber, I completely quit my job as a therapist. Be number one, I was getting burnt out with the paperwork because the paperwork are, are getting kind of absurd in the county of uh, San Bernardino County and LA County is what I, I worked and um, it was just the paperwork was ridiculous. And I was spending six hours a day on paperwork and maybe two, three hours with clients a day. And I realized that wasn't what I signed up for. <laughs> you know? So I was like, everywhere I went, I went to like six different agencies. It was all the same. And I just realized like mental health kind of became a bureaucracy. It became about billing, making money. They're bragging about how much money we're making per client. It was just ridiculous. And I just really didn't agree with the moral, ethical side of it it became like a business and i wasn't for that so when i left my therapy job i didn't miss it i just missed the people because i want to help people and so i thought you know i'm just going to help people through youtube and music right now take a break come back if i do come back it's going to be on my terms like maybe a private practice situation uh because i just don't agree with the mental health model working for hospitals or schools or um crisis clinics because it's just i feel like there was just a lot of barriers for me to help people and I became toxic for me. So I had to take a break. <laughs> so it was just my personal issue with it. Something that I've experienced is honestly using playlists as therapy. And because some of these people making these music or other forms of art or writing or whatever, like they act almost as therapy. And that's why it's so important that if you, do have a talent and a skill and you are willing to be vulnerable i mean songs from people like kelly clarkson and beyonce and all these women who have really been vulnerable with their music have empowered other men and women to feel seen and i would love to hear your thoughts about the importance of sharing your art with others if you do feel comfortable with it but also being okay with some art just being private oh yeah i mean 
usually the art I create, I share. Um, there's it's very rarely that I maybe create something that I don't want to share because I feel like I was created on this earth to help people, and I take that pretty literal. So most things I do, I'm like, okay, I'm creating with the intent to share this, you know, and at the same time, I am getting something personal out of it too because. I have an anxious need to create and I feel like if I didn't create anything, I'd be more depressed and anxious person because I just feel like I need to create because I have all these ideas and they flood my brain and I can't really control it. <laughs> so like I'm always thinking, you know, of a song or a lyric or po a poetry that I write in my head or whatever it is. But I just remember one time I was working with kids in a mental health clinic and I told them to close their eyes and I played some music and I said, what color do you see in your brain? Does this song elicit a color? And so, and you, surprisingly, people would think of a color when they heard a song. And then so we would write the colors on the board and I'd be like, did you feel an emotion in addition to the color when you heard the song? And so people would be like, yeah, I felt happiness or I felt anger or I felt, you know, be surprised. You get every answer. Um, I felt confused. I felt like I didn't feel anything. Some people are like, I felt nothing. I didn't see a color. You know, that happens too. But I remember thinking, wow, like it could be one song, but literally I got five to 10 different responses on the same song, different colors, different emotions. And it just made me think like perception is different for everyone. Like we can be, all be looking at one thing, one piece of art, but that's the beauty of it everybody can take something different away from that art piece that we might not even perceived for ourselves, uh, even as the creator. Because there's times where I've created things where I'm like, oh, I don't think people are going to like that. And then people love it. And then, or they elicit a response and I'm like, I didn't expect that, but that's cool. And I'm glad people took it in a positive way, right? So it's just, it's just great. Like being a creator and an artist, and you understand this because you create too. It's just so rewarding when somebody gets something positive out of your art. And even if it's negative, at least there's a reaction. That means you're doing something right. Because I think art is supposed to make you feel something. Um, and whether that's a negative or positive emotion, if it makes you feel something, I think you're doing it right. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And to get kind of spiritual about it, um, you think of the universe or God or whatever. And yeah. how they're the grand creator of everything. And I just feel like when I create, I feel like I'm doing something that the universe does. And it just, it's so powerful to me, the importance of creating, especially in this world where if you say you want to be a creator, if you want to be an artist or something, the world kind of laughs at you and like, oh, you can't make a living off that. Go be an accountant. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it art is so, so important in our world. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of art and creativity in our world. And yeah, in our society. I love that you said the word spiritual, because I think to me, um, you know, you've heard this from a lot of people, too. It's like music is a spiritual experience. And I think therapy can sometimes be a very spiritual experience um and art of course in any form of art i think that we're spiritual beings i believe that we're created by god a creator and i feel like we're all born with different gifts and talents it might not even be art maybe your gift is you're good at building cars right <laughs> you know that could be an art form in itself but the point is is that when we do, when we express ourselves through whatever it is music art poetry a drawing even just journaling 
I think that's when something happens like for me, it's like downloading something off the internet, <laughs> you know, like I'll be sitting in my car driving a target and all of a sudden I get this guitar riff in my head and I'm like, that's super cool. I got to write that idea down and record it on my phone, a voice memo. And then I come back to it and I write a really good song off of that. Or I could be driving in my car and be like, oh my gosh, I just thought of a really cool lyric for a song and I'm, I'm going to save this idea and then write a song off of this concept, whatever that is. So it's pretty cool to like be a, an artist or a creator because for me, like people always ask me like, how do you come up with all these ideas or song ideas and all these things? I'm like, sometimes I try. And a lot of times it just comes naturally to me. Um, kind of like I'm downloading off the internet. Like, and I think that's a spiritual experience. It's like, I believe, I personally believe God sends me song ideas or sends me uh, video ideas because he knows I need the help sometimes, but also I get inspired by God as well in my personal life. And just by watching people, his creation around me. And I really believe in that. And I think it's a really cool thing. Yeah. Like I'm not religious, but I definitely feel a spiritual connection. And I feel, I feel like I do put soul into my art. Um, and so I completely agree with that. And I feel like if we lose art in our world and if it all becomes kind of this machine generated, we kind of lose our humanity because that's really what sets us apart from the rest of the animals in the world, right? I mean, no other animal truly makes art from what I understand. Yeah. Although, have you seen that video of like elephants using a paintbrush to draw a painting or something like that? Yeah. That yeah. Cool. So they, could, <laughs> they could learn a skill, but I don't know if it would really be considered art, would you? Yeah. And that's, it's almost like how I see AI, artificial intelligence. It's such a hot topic these days. But what it really is, it's kind of based off of human you know, constructs. I mean, AI is a computer program or software and it does develop on its own, but it's all it's doing is kind of going off of what humans have already done. Right. So it's like, it's kind of, it's a synthetic version of what a human has created. And so even if AI creates something, it's based off of human creations. Right. <laughs> you know, because we're the ones who, who created the things it's trying to create, right? So different versions of it. So I think that's the problem in the future is like we can't get so detached from the humanity side of art. And if we just let computers and AI robots create these things later on, it, it'll take off of the organic experience or the, even the spiritual experience of what human brain, beings bring to the table, which is that unique creative expression that can only be unique to that person. Um, so I don't know. It's just the way I see it. Yeah. And I used to use AI a lot for my own art therapy last year. I was in a group for AI art therapy. I had like 300 people in it. That's and awesome. <laughs> it was actually very therapeutic for a while, but it was, it was kind of like a bandaid. Like it kind of helped me get through this short time, but I also noticed myself really kind of losing touch if that makes sense. And so I started doing finger painting again, because I was having experiencing a lot of pain. So I couldn't draw the way I used to. And just that, that physical touch really makes such a difference. Do, do you know if there's any studies about how the physical touch of making art 
whether it's writing or playing an instrument or drawing, how that can affect us psychologically? Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of um, actually clinical studies they've done on just how important it is the body brain connection to our you know our physical reality experience with what we touch you know our senses are a big part of what we use in therapy i remember um, i'm sure you've heard of this it's called a grounding technique you know one of the things that we we use in oh, grounding yeah, techniques is yeah <laughs> we, i remember talking to you about this before in the past but it's like using our five senses right so if somebody's coming in, they're having a hard time. I can't breathe. They're having a panic attack or I'm blacking out. You know, I've heard it all right. I'm like, I'm having a full on meltdown or panic attack. I can't control my body. One of the things you can have them do is like, I need you to put your hands on the floor right now. Why? And so I'm like, just trust me, put your hands on the floor right now. And so I'm like, okay. So they put their hands on the carpet or whatever. It's hardwood floor. It doesn't matter what the floor is. They touch it. And I'm like, what do you feel? Like the floor. I'm like, okay. Well, what about the floor are you feeling on your fingertips or on your palm of your hands and i start with you know is it warm is it cold you know is it a hard surface is it soft is it fuzzy is it feel clean does it feel dirty right so then we go through the senses of sight taste touch smell and eventually ask them all these questions about what they're experiencing in that moment what do you see right now when you close your eyes? What do you see your, when you open your eyes? You know, what are you listening? What do you hear right now? What noises do you hear besides my voice? Is there cars in the background in a nearby street? Is there people talking nearby? Is there a door closing, right? And as soon as we go through all those senses, I think, you know, after 5, 10, 15 minutes, they send, and we do some deep breathing, right? And that's part of the body connection is, uh, you know, getting those air in your lungs, holding that breath, releasing that breath. Um, suddenly they realize, okay, I'm calm now. And it's like, thank you. That really helped. And it's just like, because what we did is we stopped to listen to our bodies. And instead of focusing on like things that made us more anxious, like how fast our heart was beating or the fact that I can't breathe, we started focusing on things that would distract us away from what was causing our anxiety. And then now we can properly talk about, okay, now that you're calm, what led to this panic attack? Right. And as a therapist, I could lead them into a therapeutic session after we resolve them. And once they're calm, then we can go into, okay, how do you think you got here? How did you get that panic attack? And it always starts with that, like the body connection. Um, so super important. And uh, people who get massages, you know, if you look it up, they tend to be happier people <laughs> So who get physical touch. It's very important for most, most people uh, do feel better. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realize that that's, that's what I was missing so much, even with digital drawing there's i mean it's still completely valid art and even just with podcasting me physically using my voice to talk it it's very grounding to me and it's it makes things more real i guess so i love that you i i never connected it with my grounding <laughs> technique so yeah that is a grounding technique you know and um that's really really important to to not lose you know like i hate social media to a point where i love it because i love to create and i love what i do and i'm a social media person but there's times where i hate it and i need to take a break for my own mental health so what i do is I journal um, a lot of the plans I do for my channel. Instead of writing notes on my phone, I have a giant white, you know, white erase board with with markers, and I like to write physically on a board. I have several journals where I journal my budget lists, 
my video ideas, uh, organize everything that I need to budget for the year, the month, the week, all my plans, the videos. So there's a lot I get to do by just writing things down instead of staring at a screen all the time. And then when I actually create the videos, I'm so invested in what I'm filming on camera that I almost forget that I'm filming sometimes, which I like, because it's to that point now where it's like, I get to detach from- the I need machine. to do, I need to be like gotta, that. Yeah, so <laughs> that's helpful because of what I do. I'm able to de-plug from the matrix of computers and, and phones and social media sometimes, even if I'm doing what I do as a YouTuber, right? Or music, so. That's why I love playing guitar too, because it's like, it's not synthetic. I actually get to like tune an instrument. I can feel it in my hands. My If my hands get sweaty or tired, I'm moving my arms, my limbs. And so playing music is so powerful for me because I'm actually doing something that's not on the internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a real life outside the internet, people, just in case yeah. you forgot. <laughs> yeah, there's a real life. I tend to there. forget that. <laughs> it's like you can do stuff for fun that's not online. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> I people forget that all the time <laughs> I recently got um a piano for my toddler that's awesome because she decided she likes playing the piano but she now she doesn't like to play it she just wants <laughs> me to play it she goes yeah play mommy and then she dances to what but I have no idea that's how cute. to play <laughs> piano so now I feel like I'm gonna have to learn that in addition to the ukulele so yeah, but. yeah. My kid has a ukulele too, so I understand. It's and uh, she's into violins right now, so my ukulele is currently a violin. So it's very funny. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna get her a toy violin next, you know, to start on at least. <laughs> yeah, but. I have no musical talent, but I've always wanted to be a musician. So I. Well, there's always YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I mean. YouTube. I figure even if you don't have talent, you could still learn the skill part because talent is basically just like a jump start, right? Like natural yeah. talent. But if you put in enough work, I suppose that you could be just as good as someone with talent. I mean, it may have taken me 10 years or, or whatever, but I was able to become a full-time YouTuber and I've never taken a business class in my life and here I am running a, a small business now. So you never really know what's going to happen. It's just, it, it doesn't hurt to try. And I always say, if you believe in something or are passionate about something, just go for it. And if you fail, that's great. I always say, I love when bad things happen because they're opportunities to grow and to learn. And every successful person you've ever heard about, including people like Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Steve Jobs, they all failed to get to successful places. And if you read their stories, you realize we're all successful failures. But if you give up, you'll never know. But if you keep trying and you keep driving towards that goal and you accomplish your goals, you can take baby steps towards bigger goals. And it works out because I'm testament to that. My hard work and my inability to not give up led me to be a full-time content creator. And now I am a musician who gets to tour the world and play music and record, you know, music. And it's just, I'm living my dream right now. And it's, it's very humbling. And I, I'm very honored to do it to help people, inspire people through my art, you know, and mental health in a different way through music. Yeah. And both are so valid being, being Thanks, a clinical that. doctor, but also being a musician, because I think, honestly, I feel like therapy in general, when I, when I took a therapy class, um, that was just like a very, very basic one. Um, it, it did feel like an art to me to really understand the person. I, even with my podcasting, some episodes, I really do feel like 
it's almost like therapy. I think asking questions, which is yeah. what po both podcasting and therapy are all about, is a form of art. I mean, therapy is no different than what we're doing now. It's just like you get in a room with someone and you build a relationship with them. And, and sometimes people will go to therapy and they tell me, look, I didn't really get anything out of it. It's like, how many times did you go? Like two times. It's like, hello, the first three, four sessions are just to get to know you so you can build a foundation so you can trust that person and then open up to them. And I always tell people like, you know, life is in a microwave and we've been trained as a civilization society. Unfortunately, it's trained to be like instant gratification, touch of a button, video games are enforced this, Google search bar does. It's like everything is instant gratification. But in reality, mental health is not a button you press. And it's like, I want to get better. It's like, yeah, it's going to take at least eight, nine months to get one <laughs> tidbit of information that's going to change your life in therapy, but you have to give it a chance to get there. You know, self-actualization, self-realization, insight and awareness, changing your perspective on life and bettering your mental health is not an overnight process. It's going to take sometimes years, multiple years. And I would always say, give it at least eight, nine months and um, work with your therapist. Be open to change. You know, we can't force it, but if somebody wants it, there is help for you. And I'm always about trying to self-improve and better myself as a person. And so I always encourage people to do that too. And that's what therapists are there for. They're help to they're there to help you become a better person. So they're only they it could only help. That's my opinion. <laughs> Although I will say, I will say there are some very bad therapists. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I've had some bad ones, but then I had oh, to yeah. go find a new one. And the new one, the good ones far outweigh the bad ones and that's sad I mean, too because like i hear that all the time too people would be like oh yeah i went to therapy i, I hated the therapist i'm like did you find another one it's like no it's like well, why'd you give up like you know it's just like a doctor right you can go to a doctor there's like for every 10 doctors maybe two of them were good right i mean not every doctor is amazing right so you got to find the right therapist that's the right fit for you and you'll find that out in therapy You'll be like, okay, I can vibe with this person or I can feel safe with them. And that's what you want, you know, somebody that can or who's trained in the things that you need most in therapy. So because there's different kinds. Right. So if it's yeah. for trauma or maybe mm -hmm. you're really depressed or anxious, like there's different therapists that specialize in different things that will help you and whatever that may be. Yeah. And I appreciate when a therapist, when I'll, I'll tell them my specific issues and they'll be like, hey, I'm going to be honest, I I'm not an expert in that. Um, That's I a good therapist. Someone else. And I'm so <laughs> yeah, grateful good. for those who did that because yeah. they're like, I don't want to waste a bunch of your time. So just being yeah. upfront with what you're dealing with and your therapist will be upfront with you on whether they're a good fit for you. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great therapist. If, if a therapist is supposed to refer you out, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I'm my therapist, I'm only going to have for a few more months. So um, and then she is going to be moving or something like that. So I'm yeah. trying to I'm right now I'm really focusing on the things that she is really good at that um, I need help with. But yeah, I am. Uh, I know that she's gonna hook me up with someone new. So okay, good. Yeah, to help you out, I was going to suggest um, what you can do is just tell your therapist Hey, is there someone you would recommend for me based on you knowing who I like? Oh yeah, she already has someone. Okay, good, out. good. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's that's a great therapist who does that instead of a therapist who's like, "Sorry, I gotta go. 
here's a referral list, you know, that's, that's more cold. So that's good that you have an actual referral. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And she, she's a writer, so she understands awesome. my creative brain, just having yeah. a therapist who's also a creative, like it helps for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know yeah. my clients who, like I said earlier, who like music, right? Because they knew I was a musician. We were able to connect a little bit, almost like not that it was better or stronger. It was just more like, we just understood each other a little bit easier, right? Because it was like, mm -hmm. we're both musicians. We get it. Yeah. yeah. So. Did you have any other remarks about art therapy in general um, that you want to make sure everyone knows before we close for tonight? Yeah, I just, I just kind of want to remind people that um, don't be afraid to ask your ask anybody, especially if you're like already have a therapist and maybe you never thought about art therapy. Maybe there's something your therapist can recommend to you to help integrate art in your therapy sessions that you may not have been vocal about or your therapy hasn't therapist hasn't offered to you. So that that is something I always encourage. Ask questions. You know, if you're curious about something, like I said, I will give you the resources for the Department of Behavioral Health website where you'll get a lot of resources for art therapy. It doesn't matter what age you are. Um, some services are going to be free. Some are not going to be free. But the website's really good with directing you with the right resource. But I believe art therapy is a very powerful tool, not only for kids, but adults of any age, any disorder. There's always something you can do with art to help, you know, just kind of bridge that gap between I want to feel safe or I want to feel good and, uh, you know, have a place where I can express myself without being judged, without feeling fear. Um, because, you know, that's what art therapy is. It's a safe place where you can be free to create art without judgment and uh, without ridicule. You know, and that's what I think that's what therapy is there for. You know, we want to be listened to, want to be heard. We also want to be seen. And art is a great way to be seen as well and heard. So much. Yes, agree with that. And yeah, again, just what what you said about ask your therapist if you could incorporate art, because yes. I've done that with mine in the past, even though even the ones that weren't artists themselves, they would give me assignments. So you can even bring song lyrics like you don't even have to be mm -hmm. musical. Be like, oh, I connect with the song. Tell your therapist and then you guys can unpack maybe why you connect with that song. Right. Or, or, or yeah, I remember doing that with you back yeah. in college. I would tell you, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I That's connected true. with the song. Why do I connect with the song? And then you helped guide me through it. So I was doing art therapy point. with you. That's what that was. It was a form of art therapy. That's what I was doing. So I practiced on you before I did my real clients. I think that's probably what I was doing. So yeah, uh, that's funny. You're, you wouldn't be, well, you probably are the first one, but you weren't the last one to do that. Yeah. Okay. Well then that means I was doing the right thing then. <laughs> that's awesome. Good to hear. I always love to hear like, People coming from my past telling me, oh, that one thing you said, my therapist told me that too. It's like that makes validates me that I think, yeah. I'm, doing the, I, I think I'm doing the right thing. So that's good. That sounds good. Yeah, my sister and I still talk about that popcorn analogy that oh, you nice. gave with the ADHD. So yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Metaphors are awesome. They're like my favorite ways to communicate with clients. It's like mm -hmm. there's always a cool metaphor you can connect with that will stick in your brain, right? And 10 yeah. years later, you'll remember it because it's like, there's just certain metaphors that click with us, right? And I always use like our automatic negative thoughts. I call them ants, right? It's an acronym for ants, like little ants that are crawling in our brains. And you can't really see them coming. You can't control it, but there's ways to fight it. <laughs> but um, it's just a fun, I love those kinds of things where it's like, think about the ants, the automatic negative thoughts, you know, like an anthill in your brain. 
and we can talk about it and learn from it. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I definitely feel like I have ants in my brain. You made me miss <laughs> being a therapist now. Now I'm just like, oh yeah, I kind of miss being a therapist now. I haven't been I haven't been working in the field now for three years, actually. I've been doing live coaching on the side, which is different to keep my skills sharp, like we're talking now. But um mm-hmm. I'll eventually return to it. I'm just having a lot of fun on YouTube and playing in Japan right now, currently with my band. So it's been really fun. Yeah. And is there, where can people follow you on social media? Do you want to talk a little bit about that before we officially oh, yeah. end? If you guys are <laughs> curious sure about, <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. If you guys are curious about me and what I do, um, today I grew up is what I'm known for on YouTube. I do a lot of toy stuff and fun Disney stuff. And then my music side of my personality is Heart Like War. That is the name of my band. We are currently signed to a record label in Japan. That's why I mentioned Japan a lot. It's because we actually tour there every year. We also still play U.S. We are based in Los Angeles, California. So we do play a lot of uh, Los Angeles area shows still. So if you want to know more about me, you go to todayagrowup.com or heartlikewar.com or just Google todayagrowup, one word, or heartlikewar. Those are three individual words on Google, and you'll find my music. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever music's heard. It's all out there. We're actually writing a new EP right now. We'll have new six brand new songs coming up uh, for January. So I'm really excited for new music from us because it's been some time since we released another CD. So we're really excited. And yes, we still make CDs and sell them. So <laughs> it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be good. Nice. Well, thanks again for coming on and thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. And I will definitely have all those links down below. I'll get them from you and I'll put them in the show notes. So, all right. If you guys need help, just reach out. There's somebody that can help you.